I went to a small private college in New Mexico. The campus, which was owned by a sect of Catholic monks who still resided in private quarters on the grounds, was at one time a military hospital during World War II. The main buildings had been converted to dorms, and there was a one-story labyrinth of hallways that must have been an administration building, now used as a huge cafeteria. It also housed an area we converted to a haunted house every Halloween. All in all, a very unique and fascinating school. The library, named after a past starlet, stood at the top of the hill. It overlooked much of the campus. It had been built in the late 60s. You could see that in its inspired curvaceous facade looming high above the entrance. You entered on the second floor, an area littered with checkout kiosks reminiscent of bank tellers. You accessed the other two floors by a huge, minimalist spiral staircase sitting directly in the center. It was on that first underground floor where I saw a ghost. This level spanned the entire length of the building and housed multimedia, practice rooms, and the French literature department. I spent hours poring over Jean Genet novels and plays, reading about the tragic gay lust and love and bizarre absurdist cross-dressing comedies. I was just coming to terms with my own sexuality and would hide in the back stacks, huddled in a corner, sneaking sips of an illegal cherry Coke while reading about what men were like 44 years prior in a completely different country. It was not very uplifting, to say the least. One night, I was in the stacks reading The Miracle of the Rose, slowly dissolving into a puddle of even darker insecurity as I recognized my feelings in the words this man had written years before. The fluorescent lights blinked once, twice, three times to let me know it was closing time. The security guard was locking up. I gathered my backpack, put the novel back, I wouldn't dare check it out for fear of someone learning my secret, and headed out of the stacks. As I walked out from that back area, there was a row of study desks I had to pass to get to the staircase. I was shoving a pack of M&Ms into my backpack and noticed a little old lady sitting at one of them. She had more than a few books stacked beside her and she seemed to be reading deep into one of them, her head hidden by the wall of the desk. I called out to her. I think they're closing up. Time to go, I said. I sprinted up the stairs. The security guard was waiting for me at the front entrance. He looked a little on edge. You see anyone else down there? Because I'm locking up, and if anyone's stuck, they're going to be here till 8. He gave me a slight, tentative chuckle. Yeah, I responded. There's an old lady down there? I told her you were closing. The guard's half-smile dropped. He got serious. You sure? I told him that I was, and he asked me to wait for a moment while he went down to check. Odd, right? I was curious, so I agreed. Off he went. He was gone about five minutes. When he returned, he was visibly shaken and quickly pushed me out so we could lock up. Where is she? I asked. What? Oh, she... She uh, must have left when I went down, he attempted to justify. Wait, but I was here the whole time and I didn't see... She must have left through the emergency exit then, he retorted before I could finish. But that's the basement level, I said. There's no kid, he snapped at me, turning around after he had locked the door. He looked at me, tired, run down, his eyes glazed over. Are these yours? Found them on a desk. I shouldn't have food in there, you know. He handed over the pack of M&Ms I'd left behind. I stood frozen for a second, then checked my backpack. They were gone. Had they fallen out? Onto a desk? He caught my surprise and sighed softly. Every day you walk by a hundred people and don't know. 
hundred faces you never recognize, he said. You never think about it. They're just people. He shrugged, shaking his head, looking at the M&Ms as he handed them to me. You ever wonder how many of those faces are really there? Hi, I'm Jamie Markey. <laughs> and I'm uh, J. Michael Tatum, like reporting from the, the front lines of the quarantine. It's not true. I'm in a booth. <laughs> In my I'm, own home. I'm in my room. I'm in my room. <laughs> and this is Ghoul Intentions. This is Ghoul Intentions. And I'm not certain the outside world exists anymore. No. I'm convinced yeah. I'm hearing and seeing Jamie on my monitors only because she's like a, a, an AI. It's true, I am. Yeah. Hi, this is Jamie Markey. Um, <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> Jamie would never week. say something like that. No. <laughs> Never, never. The This week has been harder, I think, because we have had rain and it got cold. Mm-hmm. Like it, got it was cold last and the week. The pollen I, count is up like a motherfucker, uh, so everyone thinks they're dying when they just have allergies. Right. If it's and by not everyone, I mean me. raining, yeah. If it's not raining, everything's yellow. <laughs> everything's yellow. And then My it rains and then everything nice turns brown. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. And then got like into the 40s. It was in the 70s and 80s. And then like now we're down to the 40s again. And I really would like for that to stop so that I can go outside. Ah, Texas spring, which is basically just a big boss fight between uh, winter and summer until it finally just becomes 100 degrees for six months. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if we'll hit uh, coronavirus tornadoes. That's nothing to stress about, right? (laughs) No, but but someone should make that movie. Corona (laughs) NATO. Corona. Brought to you by Corona. Yeah. The oh, beer. Nice. It's a great, yeah. That's better. Somebody <laughs> showed this. I saw this picture. It was a couple of weeks ago online of somebody going into the store. And of course, everything had been bought out. And they went to the beer section. And like almost all the beer was purchased, except the Corona was still fully stocked. Man, I got to like, feel bad for that brand. <laughs> I know. It's not their fault. So many people are so stupid. Well, it might so be partially stupid. their fault. <laughs> I mean, they actively they contribute to, you know. <laughs> oh, well, that's true. By making alcohol. I mean, not that I'm telling them not, not no judgment. No, we are no not, judgment. No. I am, I am glad support. to make myself stupid every now and again in that's times right. of stress. Not that I recommend it, but sometimes, yeah. you know. I was, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, can you imagine, like, the branding on, like, Corona NATO 2? It's like, Corona NATO 2. Happy hour. Like, it just, come on. It <laughs> yeah. sells itself. Someone it writes make it, itself. Please. Yeah, it really does. Oh, God. If there's what anyone is... left to watch it. Yeah, right? Oh, That's, God. Yeah. Uh, uh, now so that we really story... brought the room down. Would... Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you write that story, Michael? I didn't. I did not write that story. <laughs> I found that story. It sounds like a Michael story. It does. It, well, it's what attracted me to it. <laughs> um, I was like, oh, oh, this person is gay and they're reading the French lit of Jean Genet, who's a personal favorite of mine. I'm like, I I wonder if that little old lady was just like, you know, the ghost of the old lady was like either bitching at that person because they had M&Ms where they shouldn't or if they were like, ugh, you're reading French. Um, <laughs> but that came from a Reddit user, Christian is lost 72. So, well, Christian is lost 72. We found you. And, <laughs> and we, we read your story. You. That was a great story. That was a really good story. story. Also, yeah. excellent choice in reading material. And, and all of you, any of you who are so inclined, uh, I strongly recommend the very bizarre works of Monsieur Jean Genet, who is uh, one of those writers that like went to prison for a little while, and prison made him a really good writer, apparently. But that's all oh, the story for another podcast. It changed him. It did. He was like, oh, I'm shit. Oh, but I've been in prison now, so I've got things to write about. And boy, did he. Right. 
Yeah, okay. So our our episode title today, it seemed appropriate, Jamie. It's, uh, I've decided we're calling this episode Solitude with Good Company. Eh? Yes. Eh? I think that's perfect. Yeah, it's kind of perfect. It comes from uh, Lord Byron, the poet Lord Byron, uh, is quoted one time or another having said, uh, letter writing is the only device combining solitude with good company. And I like the sentiment, and also my topic today is all about letter writing. <laughs> Ooh, nice. Um, well, and uh, your topic doesn't necessarily have ghosts. No, it's just spooky involved. as fuck. It's, it's just creepy. Spooky as fuck, and I decided, you know, to branch out a little bit and do a little true crime, but the all like the bizarre true crime stuff. Right. And so I decided to give us some other stories of people who are getting contacted, but possibly from the other side. From the other side. Yes. Man, and then postage from I the got, other side is a bitch. It's very expensive. Um <laughs> And then uh, I got a little carried away, so I have some other stories that I was just like, ooh, that's fun. I'll put, throw that one in there, too. So nice. I, I just like have it. some, I like, I'm going to whet the appetite uh, with these stories. Well, it's good. We have, we, have a, we, we have a whole episode to make up for, so a little bit of everything. A little, a little a buffet, little if you like, of creepy. Yeah, this is a little sousson of ghosty. A sousson of ghosty. It's more than that. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good amount of, of ghost. Nice. Okay, so I, of course, went... To Graveyard Shift, my favorite. Yeah. And uh, these are specifically uh, Reddit uh, users collected from articles by Amanda Sedlock Hevener and Christopher Schultz. And some of these don't have the names of the Redditor in there, but Mm. if you see there, that's where it'll be. But they're definitely Redditors. Okay, so this one we're starting with is from Waits the Great. Wait the Great. My aunt, Wait, Waits... Oh, Waits the Great. the Great. Okay. Oh, maybe it's like a Tom Waits thing. Oh, uh, that's what it seems. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my aunt. <laughs> Why are we trying to guess the meaning of a fucking Reddit name? I don't There's know, no telling. I love Tom Waits, so anytime we can squeeze him into the I conversation, know. I'm very happy. Maybe. All right, good. Waits the Great. Uh, my aunt passed away from various illnesses she had been battling all her life. She was in her 50s, and both her parents outlived her. So one morning, about 7 a.m., my grandma, aunt's mother, gets a phone call. The caller ID, it said it was my aunt calling. Hmm. When she was alive, that was the normal time for her to call almost every day. My grandma answered and could only hear static, but she stayed on the line repeating her daughter's name until the call was disconnected on the other side. Oh. Right? Can you imagine? I love those. I imagine there's like a whole industry on the other side of like apps for ghosts so they can like call their loved ones. And you just hear this well, really you... creepy sound. You have a call from beyond the grave. Do you accept the charges? <laughs> what are the charges? <laughs> and they just repeat, you have a call from beyond the grave. Um, you never know the charges, and that's how they fucking stick you with it. Uh, but, you know, we hear about those a lot, like messages and uh, mm-hmm. on voicemail or people who got phone calls. And, you know, there's that famous one, too. I don't know if we've talked about it from 9-11, the... Yeah. The people that got that phone call from mm. their uh, loved ones. So it just fascinates me, these contacts. So we, we got another one. Okay. Speaking of messages. Uh, this is from Agua61. Mm. I had a message left on a 1990-ish answering machine that I, was very, that I very strongly suspect was left by my deceased father. 
Okay, here's the event. I'm leaving out a lot of details because it would make me easily identifiable to anyone who knew me during these events. In 2005, my 79-year-old dad was diagnosed with a terminal illness. He lived in the town I grew up in, almost 140 miles from where I live now, but not in the house I grew up in. My mom died in 1999. He remarried and moved into his new house, his new wife's house. As they get towards the end of life, they're really helpless. My stepmother, being three years older than my dad, absolutely could not care for him when he got to this stage. We knew that was coming, so I arranged to take a leave of absence in the fall of 2006 when he started having difficulty caring for himself. I moved back into the old house I grew up in, cleaned it up, aired it out, and I moved dad in and cared for him until he died in the house around the end of that year. Mm. Gathering myself together mentally and physically, I returned back to the office following the New Year's holiday. In February of that year, two months after, he passed on. I finally made partner with a law firm after being there close to a decade. I know my dad would have been very proud, and I expressed to family, friends, and folks at the office several times that I wished he'd been alive to see this. Having inherited the old home place and the land that accompanied it, I ended up going there every two weeks during the summers to cut the grass. Many months went by, perhaps a year, and I'd well given up wondering if my dad would contact me. Nothing at all happened in the house. I came in one Friday night, and, as was not uncommon, there were messages on the old answering machine. Usually, they were just robocalls from politicians or recorded marketing pitches. I went through them, erasing them as I went. And flipping the page. <laughs> she had a little <laughs> chime. Uh, when you hear the chimes, turn the page. Ding. I think my computer's right. Hold on. <laughs> nah, it is. It nah. was. It was. Damn it. It was. Okay. Um... It went through the machine until I got to a very peculiar message. It was a very garbled-sounding one. You could tell it was a man's voice, but it sounded like the voice itself was static. Trying to spell out phonetically and breaking it syllabically. Syllabically? Syllabically. Syllabically? Into syllables. The (laughs) 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 The voice is saying... No fancy talk here. That's right. I'm going to say what it says. It's going to sound ridiculous, but this is what it says. <laughs> Waha'ara ule yua mahi paha. There's another voice in the background saying two words. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it sounded like one of those EVPs recording, EVP recordings. I will never try to make one of those. If this was a spirit voice, my super intelligent wife and I believe it was saying, want to congratulate you on making partner. We are convinced that is what the voice is trying to say. If it wasn't for a spirit voice, if it wasn't a spirit voice, it was a horrible, horrible connection. Not even a voice box for people with tracheotomies is that garbled sounding. And it didn't have that droning sound either. It really didn't sound like what I associate with a bad connection in that the message wasn't broken up as if the call was dropping out. Hmm. Creepy, cool. but also Creepy. sweet. Yeah. Also sweet. Sending congratulations yeah, from nice. beyond the grave. Yes. I mean, yeah. I mean, it could always have been somebody else calling, but why would they call him at that phone number, you know? Yeah. When? And it's, yeah, why would they do that? And it just sounds, and it sounds like it didn't sound like a normal dropped or like broken up call. It sounded like, right. yeah, something weird. 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 Strange. <laughs> yes. Creepy. Next. Is Summerfield 85. I bet that's Summer's name. Summerfield. Summerfield. I bet she was born in 85. Summerfield. Summer Wheat. I knew a Summer Wheat. Um, They're going to have okay, a so, daughter named Clover. Mm, 
Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's fine. No one's judging. <laughs> We're may, maybe, maybe judging a little bit. We can't help it. But it, it could it's, be worse. It's what we do. It could be it could be worse. You could name your kid Pontier. Michael. <laughs> <laughs> or Pontier. You remember that story? Oh, Pontier. You know somebody who uh Name, they were they were signing an autograph, right? Mm-hmm. And he asked what the name was, and they said Pontier. And he said, "Could you spell it?" And he said, P, and the person said their name was P A N T I E S, Pontier. <sighs> yeah, it's one of my favorite stories. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> normal Summerfield, because that's way normal in compared com- comparison. Um, I did know a Tarje once as well. Oh God, J A E Tarje. Uh, she was very little and she was very cute and I was really sad that her mom did that to her. Uh, okay. <laughs> this is Wally Mart and uh, this is... <laughs> Tarje. And this is Kay Mart. It's the Mart family. There's Wally, yeah. Kay. <laughs> and their adopted child, Tarje. <laughs> um, and their live-in, um, their live-in exchange student, Aldi. <laughs> it's perfect. I mean, okay, it's okay, hard to so come up with names. It is. <laughs> it's, it is. It's like they say, write what you know. And I guess when you're naming your kids, that applies. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Target is better than Walmart. Just straight up. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah. When did that happen? Okay. Remember when that wasn't the case? And like in the past 20 years, it became yeah. the case. There was a change. It was weird. There was a massive change. I want to go back and discover the history of when that changed. It's kind of like the way because- that when Jack in the Box got better than McDonald's. I beg to differ. (laughs) They had fancier stuff on their menu than McDonald's did for the longest time. I think McDonald's has been trying to play catch up ever since. Ah, see what I did Uh, there? I didn't even mean that. I didn't mean that. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, I can't do Jack in the Box. I can't do. Jack in the Crack. I can't do do any of them. Because when I I grew up in Oklahoma, Mm. and we didn't have a lot of Jack in the Boxes, and Mm. it was always about, because when I was young— there was a drive-through, and it collapsed on the cars of the drive-through and like killed people. <clears throat> and then on top of that was the all of the like bad meat, people oh, getting the, sick. Oh and yeah, a few, and a few people died from the meat. And this was like you it was know, like in long, the eighties or something, time. right? Yeah, yeah. And so everybody was like, "Don't go to Jack in the Box," and they went out of business in Oklahoma almost completely. I don't know if they're back now, mm. but. Uh, that's probably why, too. I'm like, eh. And then I had one of their tacos once, and I was like, this is this is disgusting. I never want to eat this again. So eh, some eh, people eh. say this is disgusting, and I want to keep eating this, and that's their argument to me. And I'm like, well, that is an argument. Um, <laughs> so I feel, I'm sorry. Oh, that's my fault. Oh, uh, I oh. I laid on my watch. I my, just creeped <laughs> me the fuck out. I was like, who said that? Siri. She's sorry. Sorry, that's Siri. she said. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> Summerfield 85. <laughs> God, we haven't <laughs> even gotten past the name yet. I know, but we've already <laughs> finished a couple stories. Okay. That's true. <laughs> uh, my mom passed away on a Tuesday. On Wednesday, I was home alone when my phone rang. When I picked up my phone, I distinctly heard my mom's voice saying, "Low, low." I said, "Mom." Then they disconnected. Low is a nickname that my mom used for me. She was the only person who who called me that, and it was very definitely her New York accent, her timber, her voice. There were other phenomena in the two weeks following items related to my mom flew across the room twice. One of those, a bracelet, happened in front of two people. Hmm. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty good. 
I don't know, but, but with the phone thing, it just makes me think, was someone just calling and saying, hello, hello, and it was ditching, and so um, you only got the O, the, the low, low part, like, hello, the low part. hello, hello, I'm just saying, but that doesn't explain the things flying across the room, but. And it being in her mom's voice, with her mom's accent. That's true. That's yeah. true. That's true. <laughs> so, but she had uh, recently passed away, so maybe, you know. The voice was there. The voice That's was there, true. you know, when you're grieving, you, you're, you're, the brain copes any way it can. That's true. That's yeah. true. Interesting. Uh, Good story, though. Yeah. I, I'm glad our listener. I'm, we're, I hope our listeners are glad that we're not as hard on their stories as we are on Reddit's. <laughs> we're like, mm, I like it, but. I like it, but I, I, I want to make a few changes. <laughs> Let me, let's talk about this. Part. I think it's Can important to talk about those sorts of things. That's right. As we keep can the we dialogue change your going. name to Sally? If anything else, it Lee. challenges the ghosts to up their game. That's right. Yeah, don't be generic, motherfuckers. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Midwayer. My mother received a voicemail this morning at around 11.30 a.m. Here is some background information. My grandmother lives alone in an old house that my mother and her two sisters grew up in. When they were children, the, uh, the house was supposedly haunted by spirits. My mother was haunted by a voice that would call her name Judy from the bathroom while her sister Gina would speak in tongues at times. That's mm -hmm. fucking creepy. Ooh. It got to the point where they had a priest come in and cleanse the house. Other than a few odd occurrences, there was nothing too major, and it happened so long ago that it doesn't concern my family anymore. So today, my mother calls me and asks if I pranked her by leaving her a creepy voicemail. <sighs> I explained to her that I didn't, and I asked who, who was the last person to call her. She had two missed calls from my grandmother before the message. When I finally made it to my mother's house to listen to the message, I found that it did indeed come from my grandmother's house. We called my grandmother, and she told us that she did not leave any message, and my mother even went over to her house during the day to ask her about the message. And she was told that there was no way she left a message on her phone. The message was not staticky, but seemed more glitchy. But there was a dominant low voice that seems to say my mother's name slowly. Judy. It's, it's the ghost of Judy Tenuta's career. <laughs> I'm Judy. Judy. Five it's people 50... will get that reference. I, yeah, I'm one of them. Um... <laughs> It's 50 seconds long and repeats. So just Judy over and over. Oh. And with the ghost from the kid, from when she was, that's. Mm, no, no. Is that's her weird. sister speaking in tongues now? Because. I mean, yeah, we should check that out. Let's do some yeah. follow-up. Come on, Reddit. <laughs> <laughs> we need a follow-up. Okay. From Marlin Chin or Marlin Chin, 26. For years, I have been fascinated by the paranormal and everything unexplained. Although I try to find the logic and explanations for all situations, I thoroughly enjoy exploring the unknown and keeping an open mind. That's how I feel. <laughs> there is, so far, this Reddit user is doing everything correctly and saying, yeah. just really winning us over. They didn't even know they were winning us over. But I know. They're winning us now, over if now. they start to say that they love us, they're definitely going to win us over. I mean, they're really. Spoiler alert, yeah. they don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but if they wanted to come forward and say you loved us, we will uh, graciously accept. You win. Um, okay. Uh, let's see. Before this event, I only had one experience with the paranormal, but I attempt to reason with that experience since it could have been tampered. Uh, since Oh, could have been tampered. Moving on. <laughs> this event, on the other hand... <laughs> 
was the end of that fucking sentence. That's what that period meant. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Punctuation. Yeah. Um, this event, on the other hand, I still can't quite explain. About six years ago, my older brother was visiting from college and we got takeout for the night since my parents were going out for the evening. We got our food and we were sitting at the dinner table. Everything was... Sorry, I got thrown off by takeout and sitting at the dinner table. What was that, Michael? <laughs> That's my... <laughs> Sorry. I don't know, Jamie. Something. No, it's a fucking air purifier we have in here because it's hot as balls oh. in this fucking booth I'm recording in. And I'm sweating oh. like a whore in church. And here I am like, okay, I could just reach down with my toe and turn this on to max. <laughs> and this is what it, it sounded... sounds like on max. Hang on. Give it a second. It's going to be like, roar. Do the roar. Do the roar. And now it's not going to fucking do it. <laughs> because the booth is haunted, apparently. Yeah, there, it is. No, there it is. There it is. Can you hear it? Yes. Oh, it feels so nice, though. I know I can't use it, but it feels <laughs> Oh, nice. <laughs> it's, it's, I was like, are you flushing a toilet in your studio? I don't know. Oh understand. my God, that's the next stage of this build. <laughs> it's just you, you sit on the toilet while you're going to put a bidet recording. in here. It's going to be fucking awesome. You guys, <laughs> I'm ready sound? to record remotely. LA, hire me. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, please leave all that in. <laughs> yeah, do it. It'll be great. <laughs> Including what I just said. Because we yeah. love you. <laughs> also, yeah, hire us both, god damn it. Okay, so. <laughs> um, okay, so they were sitting at their table eating takeout instead of eating it in front of the TV like God fucking intended. Um, <laughs> that's that why, that's why the Lord gave us TV trays. That's right. Uh, okay, everything was quiet in the house and we started eating. At the time, our two dachshunds were underneath the table and were unusually quiet. They are insane barkers and will bark at anything that makes a sound or moves. This is fact. I have experienced it. I witnessed it. I can say that that is the truth. Yeah, same. Gus barks <sighs> at even the idea that someone may be outside the door. Yeah, I, like, I mean, our dogs bark, except for Genji and Leela, but our dogs bark. I have never in my life seen dogs that bark as much as my friend's dogs, uh, dachshunds. Oh, They're, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, it was the craziest thing ever. It's it just nonstop. And when she was pregnant, I thought, how's this baby ever going to sleep? Because they bark. Like, there doesn't have to be anything there. They just bark. Mm -hmm. And um, turns out, baby was used to it because <laughs> he was... Heard, he heard it his whole life, so he slept fine. Didn't matter if they barked or not. <laughs> Worked yeah, out. Some, uh, you know, some parents, some mothers do the whole Mozart thing, <laughs> and others just subject their children to barking, Incessant barking, barking weenie dogs. Yeah, it was. Yeah, weenie dogs are. I I'm not a fan. I think they're very cute, but they're just their personalities. They're kind of like Chihuahuas with me. They're like long Chihuahuas. Yeah. Um, and I just, I don't, I, my, my ex, uh, my ex's mom had like five of the fucking things and they were, I mean, Jesus Christ. It was just this shrill choir of anxiety, constantly yeah. on the alert. Didn't matter. You never, nothing you could do would earn you that dog's trust. You, I could have been going over that house for 12 years and they'd still be like, I'm like, you or just, fucking I'm excited know. to see you. I'm barking at you. Yeah. Uh, the other barky dogs that I have experienced. Bar <laughs> barky bark dogs. Barky bark. Um, 
That would be corgis mm. and um, miniature schnauzers. We had miniature schnauzers. I fucking loved them. They're so cute. Oh, they are fucking adorable. Fuck. They are barkers. Yippity yip yip yip. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so sorry to judge everyone's dogs. We still love them. I would still squish their faces off, so. That's true. Same. Yeah. It, I mean, in the best way. We love so, all dogs. We're just we're just suggesting there's room for improvement. That's all. <laughs> That's right. Uh, okay, about three minutes or so into our meal. So we, all of this is to say that's fucking weird for these dogs to be quiet underneath a table. Mm. About three or so minutes into our meal, <laughs> they're living their best Genji life in that moment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I hear someone whispering my nickname into my ear. At first I thought that my brother was calling me, but when I looked up to him, he was concentrating on his meal, and it didn't seem to me that he had heard it. It was odd since whoever was calling me was using my nickname, and my brother never called me by my nickname. During that time, only my friends and classmates called me it. I decided that it was all just in my head and didn't mention it to him. About 30 seconds later, I see my brother's head pop up from his plate, and he looks at me with a confused look on his face. He asks me if I heard it. I say no to see if what he heard was the same thing as me. He verifies that someone whispered my nickname into his ear. I tell him that I might have heard it a few seconds before, but that I thought it was him. He responded that he didn't call me. The two of us look at each other, thinking that maybe a phone or something electronic was producing the sound. We got up and searched all around the house, but not a single electronic was on our uh, on our producing or producing sound. We even checked our dogs to see if they were making any sound. Not that we thought our dogs were calling for me, but we honestly just wanted to rule everything out. They were both fast asleep under the table and weren't making any noticeable sounds. We sat back down and laughed, believing that we were both going crazy. It falls silent again and we begin to eat. My brother was talking to me when I hear the voice again. This time it was getting louder in my ear, and I can remember that it was a masculine voice. It had an urgent quality to it, like if I didn't listen to it, that something bad might occur. Instead of worrying my brother or making a scene, I continued to eat and try to block out the voice while simultaneously listening to my brother's story. (sighs) Within a few seconds, I don't hear the voice anymore. In between my brother taking bites and talking with me, my brother quickly stands up and yells, Who is that? What do you want? Silence. I asked my brother what he heard. He said that the voice called for me again, my nickname, and it started getting louder and louder right in his ear. He was trying to ignore it until it became too loud. He also described what the voice sounded like, and it matched perfectly to what I had experienced. For quite some time, I was questioning him to see if he was pulling a prank on me because he tends to do that, but he looked as frightened, serious, and puzzled as I was. To this day, the two of us still don't know what happened. After my brother called the voice out, it didn't happen again. Um, It was a really strange phenomenon, and we talk about it every so often, trying our best to reason through it. To our knowledge, there is no one who died on our property or in our house, so we have no idea what might have triggered this. Perhaps it was psychological, but it is still one of the weirdest things that I have ever experienced. Uh, Ooh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. That's, that's a, a good story. A good one. No that notes. That is a good story. <laughs> no notes. <laughs> oh, it's like, well, it makes you wonder if something was looking for him. Right. I mean, clearly. And I love that the dogs were just kind of like, mm-hmm. we're going to we're we're, stay, we're gonna stay out of this one. This is, uh, out yeah. of, this is beyond our pay grade. <laughs> Too much. Upgrade us to Too wet much. food and we'll talk. But uh, as long as you're That's giving right, us the kibble, we are is... not here to warn you about dead people. Yeah, Barky Bark's out. 
<laughs> okay. This uh, that's such a good story. Okay, real good. cat, real cat forty five. You're not this a has... real cat. <laughs> it's a K A T, so it could be. Oh shit! Yeah, I was sorry. thinking of the sorry. animal, and I'm like, you're not a real cat if you're using Reddit. But if you are, <laughs> congratulations! You're the smartest cat ever. <laughs> now, everybody that's listening that has a cat is like, no, they're not. It's not a real cat. That's okay. It's not a real I can cat. make that joke. Yeah. And I know um, you all think your cats are smart. They're not. <laughs> but they are the smartest cat that ever existed. Yeah. Yours. And I love cats. I want you to know, everyone, I love cats, but they mm-hmm. are phenomenally dumb. <laughs> you just want hate. You're just like, please. I do. Hate I'm, me. I, I'm gonna, look, this is week three of the lockdown. <laughs> This real Michael is coming out. You just need some drama. I just need someone at me, goddammit. (laughs) You know, if you're really Uh, desperate, I can help you with that. I I know how to really stir it up. (laughs) You should do a TED Talk on that. Um, (laughs) How to make millions. How to make tens of people hate you, but be really (laughs) loud about it. (laughs) <laughs> How to make one shitty YouTuber really mad. <laughs> oh, now, I, now oh. I'm crying. Oh, God, it's great. I needed this today. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay. <laughs> tens. Tens and tens. Um. <laughs> They're oh, just God. so loud. They're very loud. They have a lot of accounts. Yeah, they got a lot of energy pent up. <laughs> a lot of energy. And they don't use it to spell. You'd or think with all that energy. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> that's not true. You know they no, do. I think they I think that's all they do. <laughs> I think when they're done, their first order of business, all right, today I'm gonna get up, I'm gonna make breakfast, masturbate, <laughs> then tweet something mean at Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> that's their they have it posted above their mirror. You know, as long as they're time blocking. I think it's a good way to organize just, your day. Just make your bed, get right, dressed, even though we're in lockdown. Wash your hands mean, for fuck's sake. Frequently and thoroughly. Thoroughly. Rub your hands <laughs> as thoroughly as you would other parts of your body. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> now they, it got real creepy real fast. All right, there we go. We're just, um, we're, we're hitting all we're, the notes. All the notes. Also, when you, someone's going to type this shit out manuscript style and print it out for the world to see. I love it. Yeah. I'll press, <laughs> I, guess, I don't know. Okay, so, <laughs> real cat. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I can't, I love how it's my fault we can't get past the names. It's okay. It's like, okay. I don't mind. Uh... Okay, this has some complicated rules, but I'll try to do this right. This event happened to myself. First, I think I should say I do believe in ghosts, etc. It was a normal night. My husband and I were asleep in bed when something made me... I had to flip the page. (laughs) Something? Flip. Made me wake up. I opened my eyes and immediately saw my dead Uncle M standing by my husband's bed, staring down intently at him. He was dressed as he normally had been in his latter years, a plaid flannel shirt and a pair of everyday pants. His two hands, I mean, that could be anything right now. Also, it's good to know that you can be comfortable in the afterlife. That's true. Plaid shirt, everyday pants. His two hands were folded in front of him, hanging down. All he was doing was staring very intently down at my husband. He didn't glance left or right. Well, 
I was shocked and scared and just lay there, rigid. I closed my eyes in fear and opened them again. He was still there. I did the same again, and when I opened my eyes and peeked around the quilt I hid under, that I was hiding under, perfect, he was gone. The next day, I thought to myself, well, what was that all about? That afternoon, I received a call from my aunt's, uh, my Uncle M's sister, uh, from the aunt's friend, right? Mm, Uncle uh, M's sister, the aunt's friend. She told me my aunt was in the hospital. She'd fallen during the night due to a previous stroke and couldn't pull herself to the phone. She had lain there calling out and praying and begging all to all the saints and God and all her deceased relatives to help her somehow, and nobody helped her. Nobody helped her until her friend came in the morning, as was her habit now, and found her on the floor where she'd wet herself and was a mess. Aww. I found this out from T, her friend, as we walked along the hospital corridor to her room where my aunt told me the same thing. At that point, I told her about the visitation I'd had the night before and that she had been heard, but I was so scared I didn't understand. Uncle M was trying to wake my husband because I certainly couldn't have done it on my own. I found out later that she interpreted that as being a sign that my husband was going to die. You can't please the Irish sometimes. She, <laughs> <laughs> she had a reason to think this, though, from a previous brother's death and the visitations that occurred around that one. But my husband is fine, and my Aunt M lived on for another seven years. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Whew. Okay. Well, see, that. let that be a lesson, though. If you want help from the other side, you can't just shotgun your prayers. You can't pray to everybody because then everyone you're praying to figures someone else has got it. So right. you got to you gotta just, you know. You, if you... Gotta, you Pinpoint one, if, one source of help and go with that. Yeah, but it, if you pray for more than one, to you know, for more help from more than one, I say also include a checklist. So, like, from, like, okay, you're praying to God, okay, now I'm going to pray to, you know, this saint. And, uh, dear this saint, if you can't do it, please let the next saint know. Dear this saint. Okay, so it's, it becomes like a chain letter, and I'm sure the saints yes. are just as pissed about getting them as we would be. Yeah, but, you know, nothing's going to happen to them. Um, it's about someone else. And They've they already been through the care worst. about other people, right? Right. Uh, yeah. It's different. It's different. <laughs> Similar, but I wonder if it's different. like, I wonder if it's like you, you pray the wrong saint and they're like, no, I'm, I'm, uh, Frank, I'm, I'm uh, Francis of Assisi. I'm, I'm uh, animals. Like you want St. Christopher. Sorry. Not my department. Oh, 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 I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Uh, St. Christopher? Yeah, St. Yeah. Christopher. Yeah, uh, but and he's he's I'm nice, but uh, bring bring in a Claire. <laughs> <clears throat> Look at you with your little Catholic knowledge. <laughs> My brother's Catholic, so I know a little bit. I yeah, know a little bit. My brother's yeah, a lapsed Catholic. <laughs> right. So no, a I, think, Catholic. I think they're I think they're yeah, I think no, he's still he's not a lapsed Catholic because he didn't grow up Catholic. I think to be <laughs> he's an active Catholic. Ah. He converted. He was. We were brought up Methodist, and then he converted mm. to Catholicism so he could marry my sister-in-law. Oh, nice. <laughs> and kneel a lot. Kneel so much. It's a lot of kneeling. A lot so of kneeling. kneeling. A lot Man. of kneeling. But lovely services. Yeah. Before choosing religions, let's have a conversation with your niece and see what they're up for, because that's important. Uh, <laughs> moving on. Uh, it's funny. It just this surprised one, me that my brother was the one that converted to Catholicism. I mean, I'm the one that spent most of my teens on my knees. Oh, oh there it was. I was waiting. Da -da 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 -da. 
It's coming one way or another. I'm, I'm glad. It was good. It was good. Oh. Uh, you didn't even mean to put a button on it, but you did. Didn't I? <sighs> okay. Okay. This one, interestingly enough, is called See Your Clergy. <laughs> <laughs> We're so linked right now. I you know. And I. I didn't even. Miles apart, and yet our brains are so always close. on the same wavelength. It's true. Okay. I'm a mental health therapist. One of my schizophrenic clients said he was seeing a girl in his room and that she was talking to him. We believed it to be a hallucination as he was living alone. The doctor I was uh, with decided to challenge his delusion and had him take a picture of her so we could meet her. Mm. During the next visit, he brought a picture. And yes, she was there. To our astonishment and horror, there was a picture of him on the couch with a strange, creamy, ghost-like image of a girl hovering behind him, shrouding him in white, like, wings or hair. Very light in color, but subtle, shimmering image. What was eerie was seeing him sitting on the couch with his head down, very depressed looking. She was literally haunting him. All our jaws hit the floor. You could hear a pin drop. Everyone examined the picture, and we could tell it was real. Dude was very low-functioning and could not have shopped it. Shit got real. We were haunted. The doctor, in utter amazement, knew medication would not treat this, and said, I can't help you with this. You are going to need to see your clergy for this. Wow. Ah! Oh. Can you imagine? Talk about someone being like, yeah, not my department. Sorry. You want St. Christopher. And then you go to the... Yeah, oof. Okay. Ooh. That's a good one. That's a good one. That's really good. I like that. This one is called Trish is in it. (laughs) Trish is in it. Trish is in it. On the night my mother died, at about 7 p.m., her very old grandfather, about 99, was getting ready for bed in a nursing home about 200 miles away. He was just about to get into bed when he stopped and said he couldn't because Trish was in it and sat patiently in his bedside chair. At about 10 past seven, he smiled and said, she's gone now and got into bed. This was witnessed by an aunt. I wonder if when people die, they don't give out some kind of final, oh, communication. There it is. Uh, I was with my mom as she died, but she didn't speak to me though. So who knows? Hmm. Hmm. I wonder. No, it makes me think of, uh, so Houdini, Harry Houdini spent a lot of time Debunking, debunking spiritualists, seances, and stuff like that, and, and psychic mediums, and making quite a bit of you know a stir while doing it. Well, when he passed away, he made an agreement with his wife that every year on the anniversary of his death, I believe, uh, he would mm-hmm. she was to hold a seance and try to contact him. And he, if if there was anything afterwards, and if if the dead could communicate with the living, he would make damn sure he did so. And so for several years if not decades after he passed away, she held a seance every night, every uh, anniversary of, I think, his death. And he never contacted her. Mm -hmm. So maybe, I mean, I don't know, maybe he just didn't have the ability. Maybe he didn't go on. Maybe Maybe he didn't get the right paperwork filled out. Maybe, yeah, maybe he got, you get there and they're kind of like, yeah, but you didn't believe, so we're not going to let you use the phone lines. Yeah. Yeah, that that phone phone line is for people that were nice. (laughs) Yeah. Or maybe something more terrifying and tragic has happened. And he's trapped somewhere. Like he's in hell, and the only thing he can use to talk to her is Source Connect. <laughs> oh, that is hell. <laughs> I, 
was thinking more along the lines of he's trapped uh, on that, you know, where, like in the moments where he died and he's not aware that he's passed on. Ooh. You know what I mean? That would suck, too. About that too. He was a lot of yeah. pain when he died, too. Yeah. Because so. he got punched in the know. gut. He he dared someone to punch yes. him in the gut. He's like, come on. And and I'm sure I'm fucking up the story. But the way I remember it is that he got punched in the gut by someone who, yeah. who he invited to th- them to do it on a dare. And it killed him like days yeah. later. It, it ruptured his appendix, didn't it? I think it so. Something. Yeah. Something like it ruptured a lot from what I remember. But yeah. yeah, it was bad. So it makes, mm. I mean, I don't know. Because you hear all these stories about ghosts that are trapped, right? Mm-hmm. So if they're trapped, they certainly can't be going to a, you know, a seance and visiting Maybe. people if they're know. trapped in this other spot. I don't which know. makes you wonder if that's the real kind of purgatory situation, speaking mm-hmm. of Catholicism. But mm-hmm. but then, you you know, I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. And speaking of uh, anniversaries of deaths, you know, uh, today... Uh-oh. What is today? we're recording on Sunday. Right. It's Kurt Cobain's, the anniversary of his death. Oh, God. Uh, How many? 26 what? years ago. 26. Oh. So next year, next year it will be as long as he was alive. Damn. Remember? Damn. That's so messed up. Yeah. It really is. It's, it's just to think of how much time has passed. Mm-hmm. Damn. Mm. And it's another thing, too, where, like, if he knew how impactful he was. I don't know. know. I don't know. You might have had Would an Courtney idea. Would still have killed him? I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not saying that. It's <laughs> oh, a joke. Oh, God. Great. Great. Now she's going to be mad at you. Suit again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Allegedly. Uh, Allegedly. Um, I don't actually believe that. No, be I don't. I don't honest. think so either. I don't. I, and I don't. I have no love for her, but. I don't think she. I don't think she did it. Yeah, if you want to make a Nirvana fan angry, tell them that Nirvana was the first emo band, and they will rage, and you will laugh. <laughs> it's so great. If you want to make it, if you really want to make them pissed off, tell them you prefer the Foo Fighters and Hole. Oh, and Hole. Yeah. <laughs> Watch out. I am uh, inwardly retching at the thought of how many of our listeners are hearing this going, who are these people they're talking about? I know. <laughs> so I realize now I am our parents talking about their high school bands. And my dad would be like, oh, yeah. you never heard of the band Fresh Cream? It was great. I'm like, I'm... <laughs> Cream. There was a fucking band named Fresh Cream, and my dad was all about Fresh Cream. And for they years, I thought with the strawberries. And, yeah, and, for, and forever, I was like, "That's the dumbest fucking name for a band it I've is. ever heard in my life." Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm gonna go listen to Limp Biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you know what? Because I, I did like it all think. for the cookie. That's how that goes, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, that makes way more when sense you give Fred Durst a nookie, yeah. Mm. Um, but I like to think though, because we have a lot of people that listen with their parents, that the parents are like dying knowing what we're talking about, and I the know. kids are like, What is wrong with these? Why, why are my parents laughing? Oh, they've made another old joke. Look, it's why we're into ghosts, all right, kids? We've already got one foot in the goddamn grave. We're just trying to scope out the territory. It's true. But keep in mind that 
you you can call us old, but we'll also say that you don't have real fucking problems. So, uh, <laughs> you, you know what they are. <laughs> just you wait. Oh, you think it's bad now? Just you think, just you think it's bad now? Oh God, just wait. One day you'll be in your forties and you'll think back to being fourteen and be like, shit, I had it good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know how they say it gets better. It does, but it also gets so much worse at the same time. Yeah, when they say it gets better, uh, it gets better. That particular problem gets better, but other worse problems come in its place. <laughs> that's, ter- that's terrible. <laughs> I'm so kidding. It's just no. It's you know when you're older, it's actually. It, you can I don't just deal know. with it better. You deal with you it better because you you laugh it off. You're like, oh shit, okay, this is fine. I've been dealing with this since I was 14. Also, yeah. you're amygdala. Like you you're let amygdala. That shit develop. You got, you know. Yeah. It's, it's a whole part let, of you your gotta, brain. It's a whole you part of your brain that's got to gotta figure it out. It's, it's, yeah, it's not it's, your fault. Yeah. Just just, just, just okay. wait. Just wait. Then you can yeah. bitch when you're older. Because I'm right. sure our, like, uh, my parents who are now in their 70s are probably listening to me going, what the fuck is he bitching about being, oh, exactly. to be 40 again? Yeah. The important thing <sighs> is that no matter what you bitch about, nobody really wants to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's pro tip. <laughs> Except your close friends. And that's only when you're bitching together. Right, right, right. <laughs> your close friends Let's... when you have the same problems. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Otherwise, it's a competition oh. and everyone just feels threatened. Anyway. <laughs> that's, why, that's why Michael and I are so close. We just bitch together all the time. We bitch. Jamie and I will privately message each other what we'd rather tweet <laughs> We're like, Jamie, you're gonna gonna be my like my dark side tweet. Like I'm yeah. I'm gonna use you like Twitter and I'm gonna be like, hey, here's what I wanna say. <laughs> but yeah. I'm not gonna say it because that would be mean. So I'm yeah. just gonna say it to you because I want someone to appreciate how funny this yeah, is. Yeah, I need someone to know my real feelings. <laughs> okay, speaking of real feelings, let's talk about someone else's. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this is called the weirdness. The weirdness. This is appropriate. Uh, We moved to our new house in 1970 when I was five. The weirdness started pretty much straight away. The first night we were there, my my dad's watch, a typical 1970s stainless steel brick of a thing, which he always put on his bedside table, was found in the morning to be completely dismantled, like someone had taken a lump hammer to it. (laughs) Even the main spring had been stretched out, all 18 inches from my dad's sleeping head. Over the next 40 years, we have all had kinds of weirdness, from sudden temperature drops and cold spots, which moved. I regularly had to move my bed around every month or so. God, that's a lot. Uh, Which were so extreme, I can remember breath condensing in June. One evening, we came home and found the hatch to the attic ajar. Mm -mm. It was never opened normally, and there were muddy paw prints all around it. On the ceiling. We didn't have a dog. Oh. We have an antique clock, which Sorry, I was off mic. Oh. (laughs) I heard it fine. Oh, right. Sorry, Matt. One evening, we came... Oh, that's that that one. Okay, we have an antique clock, which apparently hadn't worked since before I was born and was kept as a sort of ornament. The hands of the clock would change time when you weren't looking at it. Literally. It would be on, say, 645. You would look away, then look back, and it would be 330. (laughs) Instead, <laughs> so like, you would look away and look back, and it would be 646. <laughs> but it was broken. <laughs> um, 
I remember a perfect circle of thunderflies on the ceiling over my bed, which just sort of evaporated. And we were forever hearing people or furniture moving around in rooms we knew were empty. I was five when we moved there and the oldest of three kids. Although none of us would ever sleep with the light off, I don't remember being scared. Looking back, I remember us talking about the ghost almost like an irritating eccentric relative. After we had extensive work done on the house in the early 80s, the ghost settled down a bit and there was less weirdness. The last time it made its presence felt was about five years ago. My dad was away and my bro was popping in to check that all was well. As always, he went through the house turning on the lights um, before he went into a room and then off as he left. Eventually, he was back at the front door about to leave, switched the light off, it was dark out, and as the hallway went dark, someone gave a breathy gasp right in his ear. After he got control of himself and stopped accelerating, he had to go back and shut the front door. No. For the record, I am an no. atheist who regularly has seen ghosts throughout my life. I don't believe in the undead or in restless spirits or new age hoodoo. I have no idea what caused the weirdness in my house. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say it's uh, the undead or restless spirits or new age hoodoo. That kind of <laughs> um, <laughs> Oh, and one last thing. When I was about 20, I'm 46 now for what it's worth, I met a woman completely randomly who had lived in the same house in the mid-60s who told me she remembers it as a warm and friendly place with no weirdness of any sort. Mm. I think that was the last one. Yeah, it was. Oh, that's oh. a good one. That's, that was good. That Weirdness. was good. I like them when the stories come from people who are like, like, I don't believe in ghosts. Here's my ghost but, story. Right, but here's my ghost. <laughs> I like that. It's very honest. I'm not saying a ghost, but when I said, "What are you?" it said, "I am a ghost." It's very strange. <laughs> and I'm, I feel myself like you know caught between a rock and a hard place because I mean I want to you know I want to take them at their word. <laughs> Right. But I don't believe in ghosts. Mm-mm. Yeah. Mm. That's well, good. Mean? That's good. That's yeah, good. That's Shall good. we take a quick, uh, quick break to maybe yes. refill my drink? And yes, uh, then we will and continue we'll with it. my story, which I think yes. you're really going to like. I'm excited about it. All right. Sweet. Pause. Now, so we're back. We're refreshed. I cooled off. In, in outside the booth for a few minutes. <laughs> so I was overheating like a bitch. Don't do that. Um, I, Brandon was in here yesterday doing an audiobook for like eight hours. Yeah, and I saw him tweeting I don't, about it. It was great, but I don't understand how he stays in this thing for so fucking long. It's ridiculous. I've been in here for like, what, an hour? And I already want to die. Yeah, well, you're taller. I'm taller bigger. and I run hot. Like, I'm, I'm a very, like, Brandon is very cold-natured and I'm very hot-natured. So yeah, I'm hot-natured too. Ice. That's mm-hmm. which it works out when you're here because I turn the air down really, really low it's, and then we turn it perfect. off and it's nice. Perfect. Yeah. Your place feels like a theater. <laughs> That's Thanks. exactly how cold I want it in my house. I like it but to I be have 68 to... degrees year round. Yeah, I have to be 69 degrees, which mm. hey, at least I get to go A, but it does nothing for me. Yeah. That I mean the degrees. 69ing, different story. But <laughs> anyway, so uh I decided to go a little off-road for this topic. I know we normally do, like, ghosts and and, uh, history of ghosts and stuff, but I kind of wanted—every now and again we'll do, like, true crime, Uh, particularly if it's a really weird and spooky-ass 
uh, true crime, and this has got to be one of the weirdest I've ever encountered. And and it's just, it's a very convoluted story. And kind of like, you remember when we did the Skinwalker Ranch and I had you keep a checklist of every time you gasped? Yes. I'd like you, Jamie, to do that now, because I feel like you're going to gasp a lot. Okay. <laughs> now, have you ever heard of the Circleville letter writer? I don't think so. Okay. A lot of people haven't. I thought I knew about it, but it turns out I was thinking about a different, somewhat similar case that's a more recent, but uh, which is uh, called The Watcher, but that, that's another topic for another episode, which maybe we'll do soon. Um, but this is actually, this happened before then, and it's somewhat more, it's just, it's really weird. It's creepy as fuck. Um, anyone who's ever been stalked, raise your hand, I know I have been, mm. um, and, as have you, but anyone that's ever been stalked or gotten like threatening letters and shit like that, like it's terrifying. But imagine being an entire fucking town getting these letters. What? Yeah. Okay, so this is the Circleville Letters. And my sources to start with, of course, are Wikipedia, a website called The Lineup, um, an old episode of Unsolved Mysteries hosted by Robert Stack, the man. May yes. he rest in peace. And a really cool podcast I want to do a shout out to called Dark Histories, uh, which I highly recommend. They're very British, and I love them. So let's get into the story. And Jamie, take notes because you're going to have questions. All right, I'm doing it. I have this All new right, so pad of thing, this like new uh, tabletop <laughs> plastic thing that you stick on your table, and then you can oh. write on it like a dry erase board, but you just write directly on your table. It's very exciting. Like a true armchair detective. That's right. I'm ready. Love it. All right, so beginning in 1976, the year I was born, incidentally, uh, residents of Circleville, Ohio, received bizarre, threatening letters unaccountably detailing the secrets of their personal lives, or at least uh, purporting to. And I don't mean a handful of letters. We are talking thousands. Before it was all over and done, at least one recipient would die under <gasps> mysterious circumstances. Right. <laughs> Another would come within inches of falling victim to a homemade booby trap. What? Families would be torn apart. Rumors of an official cover-up would make the rounds, casting aspersions onto even the local sheriff. And the poison pen letters wreaked havoc on this sleepy little community where residents seldom locked their doors before the trouble started. Afterwards, though, neighbor turned on neighbor, convinced no one could be trusted. Worse, the letters continued in the same volume after even the prime suspect was put in jail. And to this day, we're no closer to unmasking the culprit once and for all than when the whole weird debacle kicked off. And the letters, just to give you a heads up, were the last known letter was received as, as recently as 2003. What? So from 1976 to 2003, okay? Now we're going to focus, because this is the meat of the story involves a specific family that was targeted by the letter writer, but I want the listeners to bear in mind that while these people, these poor people were going through their own shit because of the letter writer, many, many, many dozens of other people in town were getting similar letters. Uh, mm -hmm. And they, these people had no real relationship to each other apart from just living in Circleville. So... One morning in autumn of 1976, school bus driver Mary Gillespie discovered an envelope in her mailbox postmarked from Columbus, Ohio, less than 30 miles upstate. 
There was no return address. Now, opening it, she was struck by the handwritten block characters painstakingly scrawled across the page. The letter's contents floored her. Its author, who for obvious reasons preferred to remain anonymous, chastised Mary in cruel, explicit terms for her supposed affair with CISD Superintendent Gordon Massey. Needless to say, Mary Gillespie was thunderstruck. She thought it prudent to keep the letter to herself for the time being, hoping it would prove to be nothing more than a stupid one-off hoax or prank. Alas, another letter came just eight days later. Quote, don't lie when questioned about knowing him, it said. I know where you live. I've been observing your house and know you have children. This is no joke. Please take it serious. Everyone concerned has been notified and everything will be over soon. Now, with the mysterious tormentor now assuring her she and her family were being watched, all Mary could do was hunker down, terrified, uh, not knowing what action to take. Who could be doing this? Why? She wasn't in a relationship with Gordon Massey. Nevertheless, before long, an ultimatum turned up, this time addressed to her husband, Ron. Quote, we must inform you that your wife is having an affair with Mr. Massey, the letter read. She has chased him until he caught her. Eliminate them both before they eliminate you. Remember, we know where you work and know your red and white truck. No one can help you. Think of your children and their future. Call the school board and report the truth after you finish your investigation. Notify the school board immediately. Again, your life is in danger. Okay, first of all. Uh-huh. What does the fucking school board care whether or not someone's fucking someone else? I know. Well, I mean, I guess the, who the letter writer thought that, I mean, clearly they're just trying to stir trouble because Mary maintains that she was never having an affair with Gordon Massey. Right. But even and, if and her she husband, was, why would the school board care? Well, there might, there might, especially in the 70s, there might have been laws against it. There might have been, there might have been a, a conflict of interest because she was an employee of the school district. I mean. Being a bus driver, she was an employee of the school district. So having an affair with the superintendent, I guess, would be frowned upon by the school board? I don't, I don't know. I really don't know. But I mean, clearly, I mean, if there was an affair going on, they felt the need to keep it secret. Um, yeah. So who knows? And plus, I mean, I guess, you know, the school board, I mean, it would look bad for a superintendent to be having an affair with a married woman. Yeah. That's not who, you know, I could see a bunch of parents being like, not who I want teaching my children. Yeah, even but, though superintendents don't teach, but yeah. but anyway, moving yeah, on though, it okay. gets it gets so much. This is just the this is just the this is just All a right. taste, okay, Jamie. Sorry. Just a taste. Okay. A sous-son. Now, ah. now Ron decided to side with his wife uh, on the assumption mm-hmm. that this anonymous troublemaker was full of shit and and that there was no affair going on. So he dismissed the warnings. Before long, however, another letter arrived to him. Jalepsby, it said. In the same handwriting, you have had two weeks and done nothing. Make her admit the truth and inform the school board. If not, I will broadcast it on CBs, posters, signs, and billboards until the truth comes out. Now, Mary continued to deny that anything untoward was ever or had ever gone on between her and the superintendent. She kept the first letters from Ron out of concern, she insisted. She just didn't want to worry him, and she felt sure that if she just waited, the letters would stop. When they didn't, the couple enlisted the help of Ron's sister, Karen Freshour, and her husband, Paul. Like a secret cabal, the group put their heads together and came up with a plan to smoke out the letter writer like a rat. Inspired by the 1965 movie, I Saw What You Did, starring Joan Crawford, in which two bored teenagers prank call random people and in the process expose a murderer, it's complicated, the group 
penned several anonymous letters of their own addressed to the person they felt likely behind it. Paul Freshour would later claim in an interview that the warnings weren't threatening in any way, yet he declined to reveal precisely whom these warnings were sent to. Amazingly, the dubious plan seemed to, to work. The letters stopped, at least for a while. But the worst was yet to come. So these people got together and they're like, we think we know who it is. Let's write a bunch of letters to them from different people saying, we know who you are, go fuck yourself. Yeah. And they did this and it seemed to work. The letters tapered off for a few weeks, few months, until on the evening of Wednesday, August 19th, 1977, nine months after the onslaught of letters began, the Gillespie household received a phone call. Mary was out of town, so Ron answered, of course. The children weren't near enough at the time to make out uh, their dad's side of the conversation, but they could tell something was wrong. In the weeks prior, Ron had seen an uptick in the threatening letters. Now, slamming down the receiver, the irate man grabbed his 25 caliber pistol, reassured the kids he'd be back in a little while, and stormed out of the house. Yeah. Now, Ron perhaps unwisely chose the red and white pickup truck, a vehicle that you'll remember the anonymous letter writer expressly mentioned knowing. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah, they had several cars, and he chose the one that got mentioned in the letter. So later that night, the truck was found wrapped around a tree at an intersection only a couple of miles or so from the house. Ron's mangled body lay in the driver's seat, dead from the impact. His gun, it was later determined, had been fired, but the circumstances surrounding why couldn't be determined. Neither bullet nor bullet hole was found amid the wreckage. Ron's blood alcohol content was found to be 0.16%, one and a half times the legal limit for Ohio. Odd, because Ron wasn't a drinker. Ooh. And hadn't been drunk when he left the house, as far as the kids knew. It was murder! It's murder. It certainly sounds like it, right? Well, yeah. we'll get to that. Now, Pickaway County Sheriff, that's Circleville, Ohio, is in Pickaway County. And uh, Sheriff, bear in mind, uh, for those of you listening, a sheriff is an elected official, not mm -hmm. someone that just is given the job. So that's, that's, it's a political position, and it is. so this might explain some of what comes next. Uh, Pickaway County Sheriff Dwight Radcliffe ruled Ron's death an accident. Now, he'd supposedly interviewed and eliminated one suspect in the letter-writing case and, echoing Paul Freshour's reluctance to reveal whom he thought responsible, declined to provide more information. Curiously enough, Sheriff Radcliffe ordered Ron's truck crushed just two days after the incident. Letters began popping up in mailboxes all over Circleville, insisting that Radcliffe was engaged in a cover-up. Paul well, Freshour. yeah, I feel that. Right. Now, Paul Freshour was eager to point out publicly that Sheriff Radcliffe seemed to flip-flop on the matter of his brother-in-law's death. At one point early on, he said the sheriff had told him he considered it foul play, only to turn around and rule it an accident after supposedly subjecting an unnamed suspect to a polygraph test, which they then passed. Again, who this was and when the polygraph happened remained shrouded in mystery. There are no records of it. As far as Freshour was concerned, Radcliffe was making the whole goddamn thing up. And why do that? unless he had something to hide. Mm -hmm. Now, time passed, and as incredible as it sounds, a relationship actually kindled between the widow Gillespie and the superintendent Gordon Massey, the very man the poison pen letter writer claimed she'd been having an affair with. Bullshit. Now, Mary insisted she and Massey hadn't been a thing while Ron was alive, that ironically the poison pen letters brought them together after the fact, as Massey had received a few of his own during all this. Now, whether this is true or not, their public displays of affection apparently drove their nemesis to new, increasingly hair-raising extremes. In 1983, 
Dozens of handwritten cardboard signs began to appear along Mary's school bus route. Where they came from and how the perpetrator managed to put fresh ones up almost nightly without ever having been seen left authorities scratching their heads. Now, Mary ignored them as best she could. Then, on February 7th, around 3.30 p.m., she noticed a sign specifically targeting her daughter. Mm. Tracy Gillespie sucks, it read easily readable from one's car. Mary stopped the bus, got out, and angrily ripped the offending piece of cardboard down. The sign was affixed to a tattered shoebox balanced atop a fence post. Inside the box sat a pistol jerry-rigged with string so that opening the box would pull the trigger. Now, fortunately for Mary, the trap was so amateurish that the gun failed to fire. Now, wait, it gets weirder. Though the serial numbers had been clumsily filed off, lab tests were able to raise them again. In a shocking twist, the handgun turned out to be that of Mary's former brother-in-law, Paul Freshour. Hmm. Now, I say former because Paul had divorced Ron's sister, Karen, just a few weeks prior to the booby trap incident. When questioned by police, he insisted the handgun had been stolen, that in fact he hadn't even known it was missing until the police came knocking on his door. Now, on February 25th, 1983, Sheriff Radcliffe subjected Paul to official interrogation, which included a bizarre handwriting test. Under the impression he was helping clear up uh, confusion, Paul agreed to take it. The test consisted of Paul being asked to copy the text of a, gizen, uh, of a given poison pen letter as best he could, block character by block character. Then, Paul was asked to write in the same style from dictation, with Radcliffe reading off specific quotations. Experts agree this is the worst way. <laughs> Oh, could you do <laughs> for going about trying to determine one's handwriting. However, turns out it's a pretty effective way to frame someone. <laughs> yeah, because it's like if you could do your best to write exactly how this bad per this like person, this, bad person, yeah. you know, right. Right. Like, give me that challenge. I'd fucking ace it, and then I would right, be in jail. Right. <laughs> and and Paul said, and Paul in interviews said, uh, and when he was interviewed by uh, Unsolved Mysteries in the in the nineties. He said, you know, he was doing this because Radcliffe was telling him that there was a family member. He didn't want to tell him who in the interview, so I don't know who he's talking about. But uh, he said there was a family member that was under suspicion and that the sheriff was trying to tell him, look, if you do this, it'll help clear it up. It'll help clear that. So Paul was doing this to try to save someone else's skin, not realizing that he By was now implicating himself. being fucking framed. Yeah. yeah. So on, on October 24th, 1983, Paul stood trial for the attempted murder of Mary Gillespie or Gillespie. Uh, the prosecution's own handwriting expert confirmed that Paul's style matched that of the infamous letter writer. <laughs> because fucking of course it did. Fucking uh, <laughs> say. Now, Mary testified herself on the stand that she'd grown suspicious of Paul in August of 1982 when his ex-wife, Karen, told her she thought Paul might have been behind the letters all along. Now, Karen was living in a trailer on Mary's property at the time. Can Since I tell Paul you who I think it is right now? Who do you think it is? I think it's fucking Mary. Mm, well, okay. Hold that thought. I don't trust her. Um, I don't trust her at all. That whole, oh, now they're, oh, they've just conveniently fallen. No. But why would she start all this? Why would she start all this by sending herself letters? I don't know. I she mean, who knows? She is a bus driver and has to be on a bus with children every day and was having an affair with the superintendent. She wanted her way. She framed her husband for murder. That's what I'm, she didn't frame. That's no, not no, no. Paul's not her husband. Paul, her husband died. That's what I'm saying. She she set her <laughs> husband up. I didn't. I said framed. I meant say it. She set her husband up to be murdered. To be murdered, 
and then frame by who? I, I don't know. I mean, it does look suspicious. Because now she it's can still... be with the superintendent and be like, oopsie, it just kind of happened. That's... So Paul, so her... her She's a mastermind. Her former, her, so her former sister-in-law, Karen, divorced Paul mm-hmm. and was living on a trailer uh, on Mary's property at the time because they were still kind of friends. And she told her around this time in 1980, in 1982, August of 1982, that, that Karen was like, I think Paul did it. But Karen fucking hated Paul at that point. They were going right. through a nasty fucking divorce. But we'll get to that. Now, since Paul had what he and his counsel considered an ironclad alibi for the day Mary found the trap, um, and he did, we'll get into that, he declined to take the stand in his own defense. Confident justice would prevail. But... The jury, alas, found Paul Freshour guilty. Oh, my the God. judge sentenced him to 10 years. Huh. Now, okay, so first the residents, of all, first of yeah. all, he's convicted on bullshit evidence. Yes. And second of all, 10 years for murder? Oh no, for attempted Ten, for murder. For attempted murder. That's right. Yeah, this Call is this is all the booby trap. They never they never brought anyone to trial for the death of Ron. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, Gillespie because they it was ruled an accident, although a very curious one. Yeah. Now, the residents of Circleville assumed reasonably enough that they'd seen the last of the poison pen letters. How wrong they were. The threatening letters still came almost daily to dozens of people at a time. All the letters were pers- postmarked from Columbus, Ohio, uh, which was about 115 miles from the town of Lima, where Paul was incarcerated. Sheriff Radcliffe mm-hmm. filed an official complaint against Paul and had him moved to solitary confinement without access to writing materials of any kind. And still, the letters came. After seven Nobody years in was prison. like, hey, Paul. Stop writing those letters. We're not going to send out letters anymore. And then... Like, well, but it doesn't explain how they were mailed from Columbus, Ohio, when he was 160-something miles away. Yeah. You know, like, it made no sense. Clearly, he is not the motherfucker sending the letters. I feel very bad for Paul. I do, too. Uh, and it's it's going to get worse. So after okay. seven years in prison, Paul was up for parole in December of 1990. In the weeks leading up to his hearing, the volume of letters increased by a whole order of magnitude. And this didn't sit well with the parole board. Even though it didn't seem possible for Paul to be the author, he was denied parole. A few what? days later, a taunting letter came to Paul himself in prison. Quote, Now when are you going to believe you aren't getting out of there, it said. I told you two years ago when we set them up, they stay set up. Don't you listen at all. No one wants you out. No one. The joke is on you. Ha ha. Tell no one of this letter. I saw the paper. Great news. Great. The sheriff loved it. Ha ha. Do you believe now? Do you? Now, following three full-scale investigations into the matter... So convinced of Paul's innocence was Southern Southern Ohio Correctional Facility Warden Arthur Tate Jr. that he wrote a letter to Paul's then-wife stating he believed Paul had been framed. Another investigator named Martin Yatt, who we'll speak of more in a little bit, reviewed Sheriff Radcliffe's file on the case and discovered several key details conveniently left out of the trial, details he believes exonerate Paul conclusively. One such detail... Mary Gillespie told Radcliffe that a fellow bus driver had come to her with pertinent information. It seems that about 20 minutes before Mary was to discover the booby trap on the side of the road, her colleague had been driving down the same route and noticed a yellow El Camino parked on the side of the road. A large, sandy-haired man, who incidentally looked nothing like Paul Freshour, mm-hmm. was standing nearby. When he saw Mary's colleague and made eye contact, he quickly turned away and pretended to take a piss or something on the side of the road. Not only did this man not resemble Paul in the least, Paul had a rock-solid alibi for that time of day. 
Radcliffe failed to pursue this angle in his investigation. Of course. And what's more, a brother of one of the suspects known to authorities owned a yellow fucking El Camino. Uh-huh. Now, and once released in 1994, finally, Paul Freshour put together a 176-page PDF document spelling out his side of the story in no uncertain terms, complete with annotated press clippings, trial transcripts, and various official documents. He sent it to the FBI. It opens with, Dear FBI, I am asking that you get involved in my former brother-in-law's murder because I believed it was uh, I believe it was a murder and covered up by the sheriff of Pickaway County here in the state of Ohio. Freshour then goes on to make several claims, all of which he thinks have strong evidence, including that he uh, had offered to pay a reward for information on the letter writer, but Sheriff Massey, or excuse me, Sheriff Radcliffe had disallowed it. That many of the letters contained arsenic and a conspiracy uh, perpetrated by Sheriff. Sheriff Radcliffe himself in order to protect his reputation and advance his career. Quote, Mm. I believe that the obscene, threatening, and dangerous letters, Paul says in his document, were concealed because they would interfere with Sheriff Radcliffe becoming the National Sheriff's Association's president. See, the date of the letters and the date of his involvement, or see, the date of the letters and the date of his involvement with the National Sheriff's Association. The crime rate in Pickaway County at the time would have eliminated him from this appointment. And this was just the tip of the corruption iceberg as far as Fresh Hour was concerned. Radcliffe, he says, mismanaged on nearly every level of his job for years. Fresh Hour also claims that the prosecutors in his trial were more concerned with covering up their own mess than seeing justice done. He claimed that important details concerning the case, specifically those that involved the local school teacher, Vicki Koch, herself a victim of an unsolved murder years before, were being buried and kept out of the public eye. Um, and Paul even went so far in the document to say uh, that uh, the prosecutor or that Radcliffe might have been responsible for her murder. The details of her death, I'm I'm unclear on. It's just I know that it was unsolved. I think she was bludgeoned to death in her home. Oh my gosh! But Paul says, and some of the letter, some of the letters that were coming were suggesting that one of the prosecutors, or maybe Sheriff Radcliffe himself, had had an affair with this teacher, Vicky Koch, and that she was pregnant with their illegitimate child and had to be killed. Yeah. Uh, now, dramatically, according to Fresh Hour, one of the letters threatened to dig up the bones of a baby from the cemetery and mail them out across the county, across uh, county lines, if outside investigators didn't get involved with the murder case, and claimed that the sheriff had tried to cover this up, though a TV station had interviewed the parents of the baby who had received the letter. Hmm. Um, so, so strange. So That's strange. so weird. Um, the level of corruption that Freshour accuses the local law enforcement of ran incredibly deep and essentially boiled down to his arrest, trial, and incarceration, having been carried out as a way to further the careers of the powers that be and to show the sheriff as a local hero for solving the case, despite the fact that the letters carried on while Paul was in fucking jail. Yeah. Now, Freshour uh, even accuses the sheriff of propagating the rumors that it was Freshour writing the letters from jail before his trial. Uh, to further make his point, Paul dug up the unsolved murder of schoolteacher Vicki uh, Koch going so far as to accuse Radcliffe of killing her to hide the fact that she'd been pregnant with the prosecutor's illegitimate child. That's what that all's about. It may not be a coincidence then uh, about the letter with the, the involving the, the baby bones, whatever, but it's not really clear on what the whose baby or whatever, or I think, yeah. I believe in one of the letters, his family received a random family in Circleville, uh, certainly not random to themselves, but someone we haven't talked about before, um, received a letter saying, hey, I think the child 
child you buried was actually Vicki Koch's child and you're involved in this conspiracy and to prove it, I'm going to dig up the child's bones and send them across county lines to get outside investigators involved because shit's going down. Like yeah. this letter writer was writing all kinds of crazy shit Well, and it to seems everybody. to me like instead of like perhaps the sheriff got one of those letters that had information he didn't want to give. And so if he mm-hmm. was going to keep that ma- that information quiet, he was going to have to... Because but what makes no a, sense is like flip flop. That's what gets me. It's like in, well, it's a flip flop. But if if the letter writer was also accusing the sheriff of certain things, why would the sheriff then try to put someone else away for the crime and not go after who they thought the real letter writer was? Well, because if, we're if about you, to talk about here in a little bit. The, the letter writer was known probably by police. Well, because if you were the letter writer and you wanted police to do what you wanted them to do, mm-hmm. if you didn't say anything to them, it would look like you're trying to get the cops to do what you wanted them to do and that they were just doing what you were doing. Yeah. But if you I guess. if you I added guess. some extra shit, then okay, well it can't be them because they're getting these letters too. But in reality, now, there could be a, a Sheriff a I mean Sheriff Radcliffe is definitely dirty, yeah. in my opinion. Same. But I don't Allegedly. think he could have been the letter writer because of the volume of letters and no one no one with a normal job could have possibly written this many letters and mailed them from Columbus, Ohio every day or every few days. It's not possible. But that doesn't mean whatever. But if all this weren't already hard enough to digest, a private investigator by the name of Martin Yant, uh, who I mentioned a few moments ago, immersed himself in the Circleville case around 1993 and made some findings of his own. Now, according to Yant, there wasn't just one letter writer, but two, Hmm. at least. The first, he theorizes, was David Longberry, a CISD employee obsessed with Mary Jalepsky, whom uh, whom she, in turn, rebuked. Consumed with jealous rage, Longberry, again, this is according to David Yant, wrote thousands upon thousands of anonymous letters over the years in an insane attempt to take Mary down a peg. (laughs) Now, Longberry skipped town after raping an 11-year-old girl sometime in the late 90s. The letters continued in his absence, Several years after going on the lamb, David Longberry hanged himself. Thank the you. second culprit, right? Thank you. Good fucking riddance. Um, the second culprit, Yant suggests, is none other than Karen Sorek, formerly Karen Freshour. In the months leading up to Paul Freshour's arrest for attempted murder, the couple was in the middle of a messy divorce because Karen had been having an affair behind Paul's back. The divorce settlement didn't go in her favor. So everyone's fucking around with everybody, right? Yeah. <laughs> She lost everything, the house, the kids, Paul's pension. Karen wound up moving into a trailer on Mary Gillespie, 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 I fucking don't know how to say their name. Gillespie, Mary, Mary's property. Okay, there you go. (laughs) Where she proceeded to fill Mary's ear with the idea that Paul, whom of course she despised now, was behind the letters himself. Unsurprisingly, not long after this, Paul was, of course, arrested. Now, this is a direct quote from the Dark Histories podcast. If we accept Yant's story of events and run with the two-writer theory, we can answer the mystery of the Circleville writer. However, with his suspect, David Longberry, there is motive for Mary and Ron's letters, but what of the hundreds and thousands of other letters written to hundreds of other residents? Whilst true that many letters seem to concern the school system, what motive would he have had to accuse, threaten, and harass so many various people for all manner of activities, most of which had zero to do with him? 
Now, as far as we know, the last anonymous letter was received in 2003. In the 15 years since, Circleville has gone back to being a relatively quiet little country suburb. But the sheer volume and persistency of the letters still boggles the mind. One wonders if the writer is still out there waiting to unleash another bizarre onslaught upon an unsuspecting populace. Mm. I'm also sad to say that uh, Paul Freshour died in 2012 okay. without, as we know, ever having seen justice done. Ugh. That is crazy. So that's the basic rundown. Like, these letters are going all over the place. One of them is accusing this woman, a bus driver, Mary, with having an affair with the superintendent. They later actually do have an affair after her husband dies. Uh, but it's several. It's a couple of years after her husband dies. Her brother-in-law gets accused of setting a booby trap for her, though it was probably Karen, her yeah. her sister-in-law, that was like mad at Paul and thought whatever. So I think, I think the two-letter writer theory is probably right that this guy, there was some crazy guy that worked for the school system that had a thing for Mary decided to start writing letters and decided to just start writing everybody letters. And maybe that wasn't a... Do you remember the Tylenol poisoner case? Yes, yeah. From the 80s? And it turned out to be someone that was trying to poison their own family and decided to just send, uh, you know, to poison, to, to contaminate uh, capsules so that it looked like his, his family were just victims of some random psycho, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? And maybe this letter writer, the original letter writer, was just trying to send out all these letters so that people wouldn't think it was him that like, oh, it was just another crazy letter writer, you know, because yeah. I guess if he only targeted Mary, it would be too obvious who he was. Right. But then, but then in the midst of, you know, everyone's still freaking out about the letter writers now that Ron is dead and, and has been, you know, maybe murdered and the sheriff is covering it up, whatever, that Karen in the middle of her own divorce is like, you know, fuck my husband, Paul. I'm going to, I'm going to accuse him. I'm going to tell Mary I think it was him. Because here's another thing about it. Like, because Karen had been cheating on Paul with somebody, um, mm -hmm. she was going to lose everything in the divorce. However, if she could get him put away for something like attempted murder, it annuls their wedding, their prenup. Oh. So she had the motive. So I think she came on board and started writing... You know, I think, I don't know if she wrote letters, but she probably is the one that laid the booby trap using okay. her so, her now ex-husband's old gun so that police would find him. And I think maybe, the, I, think, I think everyone, I think the letter writer was just some crazy son of a bitch who was writing a bunch of letters because he was nuts um, and had to just do this thing, was compulsive about it and probably had a lot of time on his hands. Uh, and then all these other people... We're doing crazy, like, you know, backhanded stuff, like the sheriff involved in this cover-up of this other teacher's death and prosecutors also involved. And they used this letter writing, this phenomenon. They were opportunists that used it to yeah. fucking further their own things because they had a convenient, you know, kind of well, shadowy figure to blame everything what, on. I think it's the opportunists that mm -hmm. are, are happening. So in my movie, <laughs> <laughs> it's a group of 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 people like maybe some high school kids or something like that mm -hmm. that get fed up they get to that point where you realize people are just lying constantly mm -hmm. and they you know it's like when you if you've ever gone to a church and all of a sudden you realize the truth about people mm -hmm. in that church that act holier than thou but meanwhile they're having an affair with an organist or whatever right right so, right right i'm not saying that from personal experience uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, <laughs> but you realize that and all of a sudden it's like these people just lie. They just they're lying and then these other people uh -huh, act like they're better, uh -huh, but they're uh -huh. lying too and nobody's being honest and I think it was a group of people that were like fuck all of this. Let's call these people out. So they start sending out letters. Well, the people 
that are the opportunists are getting the letters too. So they're like, well, shit, how do, how, if, if I know all of these other people are getting letters, if I start adding on to the letters, then I can do, I can make some. Yeah. Isn't it crazy to think myself. that maybe, maybe a lot of people were writing the letters just because they're like, well, mm-hmm. fuck it. I'm just going to, I'm going to throw my head exactly. in too because fuck yes. these people, which yeah. is so weird. Like it's so fucking weird. It makes uh-huh. me think of the Stephen King book, uh, Needful Things, where the devil comes to Castle Rock and opens up like a curiosity shop. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's just a, you know, he's a very dapper old man. People come in and there's, there's one thing amid all the junk that every person has to fucking have. And the price they have to pay for it is whatever they got in their pocket, and they have to pull some really mean prank on a random person. But that, mm-hmm. in turn, rips the community apart because everyone that's a victim of a random prank thinks they know exactly who did it, and they'll go start shit with the person that thinks yeah. they did it. That person is mad at them because they think that person is just trying to accuse them unjustly of shit, and it just uh, people are fucking, before it's all over, people are like, straight up the town is at war with itself. And that's yeah, kind of yeah. what seems to be happening here, is like, I, you know, maybe this one person wrote a handful of letters and everyone else decided to jump on board because uh-huh. they saw it as an opportunity to out a bunch of people they didn't like. And it right. just so happened that, you know, it gave Karen an excuse to put her husband away for attempted murder so that she mm-hmm. could win, the, so that she could still get his fucking pension. Well, and if Mary had already been targeted by this other dude, mm-hmm. then she could have done it, targeted herself and been like, I don't know what's happening. I'm not with the superintendent but like she was maybe, totally and, with the superintendent and maybe mary did it because maybe mary did it just because she had a crush on the superintendent and this was her way of like maybe. meeting him and being like oh, i got these letters too that's weird well i guess you know it's maybe we should just have an affair what do you say <laughs> what do you say yeah i, I can see some like people thinking husband, like that i believe her husband was set up to be murdered and the only person who benefited really in his death was her so, Maybe. And it may not you know. be. It's It was weird how he died. I think it seems like you know, he'd gone off in this truck and maybe was told by whoever called him, who was clearly the letter writer, to come and meet him somewhere. And I think he maybe mm-hmm. was driving and like maybe trying to like threaten the person with a gun while driving. Like maybe they were racing down the street and he was trying to run them off the road and he got run off the road himself yeah. and into this tree. Um, you know, which maybe wasn't supposed to happen. Maybe that wasn't what the letter writer wanted to have happen. Maybe the letter writer just decided, fuck, I'm going to call you and whatever. I, who who fucking knows? Because we don't know what happened on that phone call. But it was mm-hmm. weird. As far as we know, that's the only phone call anyone ever received from the supposed letter writer. Or right. at least but we what think. What if it wasn't? What if it wasn't from the letter writer? What if it was from the superintendent who was like, I'm going to tell you the truth. Let's meet. Oh, God, maybe. Maybe, right? And shit-faced and then... They just put him in a car, you know, like, yeah, it just seems set up. It seems like a setup. It does me. seem like a setup, but it just, it doesn't, it doesn't, but why, you know? Cause I think, right. I don't think, cause Mary, I don't think Mary was involved in killing her husband. I don't think that was supposed well, to happen. But here's the thing though is. Cause I don't think she got anything she, out of it. Like she was still a fucking bus driver. She uh, got to be with the superintendent. And if they were really together beforehand, then yeah, that's exactly she just they just had to give it some downtime. Yeah, maybe. And then get together. That's right? so fucking crazy. But it's weird I know, that but of all shit the but like that everyone all the that's time. true. But the only thing that argues against that, and it's it's a weak argument, I'll I'll grant you, is the fact that everyone else is talking so much shit about everyone else and no one no one talked any shit really about Mary and the superintendent besides being like, well, I guess it's whatever. You know, I mean like no one, no one has accused Mary. But everyone accused yeah. everyone else. But like, it's just so it's just kind of weird. So I don't I don't know. It's really fucking 
twisting and turning. It's kind of like the perfect murder mystery. They're all good yeah. suspects. Even Paul. Yeah. You know, it's Paul. It's yeah. it's quite possible that Paul, you know, started getting in on the letter writing act too. Um mm-hmm. just to try to get, you know, it's possible that maybe, you know, maybe Paul thought he knew, uh, apparently did think he knew, uh, thought did thought he knew. Did I I'm not grammar. I'm not the letter writer. He thought he knew. Uh, he thought he knew who who it was, and maybe he was trying to get other people interested by writing letters to them, posing as this person. So, like, mm-hmm. who knows? Maybe, maybe this yeah. letter writer was like, I just wrote letters to Mary. Why does everyone think I'm writing to them? <laughs> yeah, right. So, yeah. I, I in my movie, they're all writing letters to each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and oh, that's but a who crazy knows? Story. It's a crazy story, and it's it's weird. Wow. I think pretty soon though, I I, I want to do the Watcher, which is the the one yes. we talked about a little because that one's even even possibly creepier. Um, but yeah, and it all just yeah. takes place. Instead of one town, it takes place on like one street. One street, mm-hmm. one little neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one. That's oh, good. Yeah. Thank I'm you. such a sucker for small, for bizarre small town twisty turny cases. Yeah. If you guys have small town drama, send it to us. We want to know. Please. It's so much fun. I mean, I know we like to talk about ghosts, but I mean. We do. Any good creepy but, story, provided it's creepy. That's right. Belongs yeah. on this podcast. What creepy shit is happening on your street? Right. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. there's stuff. You know there's the neighbors. Oh, there's, there's all, all kinds there's of shit. Neighbors. Do you remember the Burbs? Do you remember the Burbs? The movie, the oh Burbs. Oh my god, it's so I good. I loved if you that movie. Seen it, you have to watch it. Oh, so I know what fun. I'm watching tonight. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Man. Do well, you know what we watched uh, last night? Sorry, off topic, but well, I just had to tell you because we were talking about it recently. I watched The Lady Killers again, the okay. uh, the Coen Brothers film, which, man, that yeah. film gets no love. I loved it. I, I know, thought it was fucking, it was it's fun. really, it holds up really well. I thought it was funny as shit. Yeah. We, yeah. we saw it a few months ago, and I, it was great. I yeah. Thoroughly. Yeah. Mm. Um, 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 do we have anything? I don't think we have anything. No, that's it. Just, you know. Announcements. Yeah, we're, 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 we're on lockdown, like the rest of you probably are. Yeah. Yeah, so just, you know. Stay safe. Wash them hands. Yes. Wear a mask if you go outdoors. Oh, and remember. Oh, yeah, wear a mask. <laughs> it's wait, okay. Wait, wait. Wait. <laughs> wait. No, we gotta go back. It's uh, stay safe. Stay inside. Wash your hands. Wear a mask if you go out. And remember. It's, it's okay, okay to, to sleep, sleep with, with the, the lights, lights on. on. <laughs>